Let me ask you a question. Um, would you say that you have a committed community? Would you say that you have a, a group of people that, you would, that you're doing a life with that you would call a committed community? Good. This is now we're saying, no, we're about to change church. People are answering stuff. Whew. Some of you might start raising your hands during worship. I mean, who knows, right? I mean, who knows? Um, well, I mean, if, if you don't know, if you're sitting there going like, well, uh, Matt, what does that mean? And what does that really look like? I mean, is it, you know, is it, what, is it, what are the implications of that? Like, well, uh, one of the things we, we, we did at the earlier in the year with both the elders and the staff is kind of try to pull together a, kind of a, if you will, one of those, kind of like a magazine inventory, uh, inventory, you know, like if you're reading Vogue or Cosmo in the 80s, I don't know if anybody reads those anymore. Are they even magazines? I don't know. Dating myself. Um, but you know, you get those inventories like, you know, would you fit well with Chris Hemsworth? You know, those kinds of really important things you need to know about your life. Um, this is a little better than that, hopefully, a little bit more significant, a little more substantial. Uh, but maybe you can hear these kind of four elements, if you will, these four inventory questions and kind of put yourself in a place of, okay, do I have a committed community? This is kind of four marks of what we felt like we're a part of a committed community. Now, the first is, uh, do I have a 2 a.m. people? Do I have 2 a.m. people? Do I have people that at 2 a.m. I could give them a call and they would come over to my house and they would, they would process with me or with us whatever is going on? Do you have 2 a.m. people? And I don't mean your pastor or your elders or your counselor or your mom. They're all great people, right? But, and especially your mom. Um, but do you have 2 a.m. people? People who drop anything to come and go and be with you in the midst of challenging crises or uncertainties. That's one thing, you know, so maybe it's a not at all, or maybe, like, well, sometimes, or maybe it's like, absolutely. Criteria number two, do I have weekly people? Do I have, am I known in my life to others? Is, is there a regularity of, of time over time with people? Is there a rhythmed set of relationships with PR? Are there people that I'm seeing on a rhythmed, consistent pattern? Third is, um, in the past 60 days, have I or have I been called out, confronted or challenged? Have I had the opportunity to call someone out to say, hey, I just need to say something to you in light of my knowledge of you? Or have you called, been called out by someone? Or secondly, have you been called in? Have you been asked, asked to help, asked to support, asked to comfort? Have you been brought into that safe, important place in the past 60 days? Maybe, maybe not at all. Maybe sometimes or maybe absolutely. And lastly, are, are all parts of my life in the light? Like within the totality of my community, my committed community, is, is my past and my history in the light? Is my present reality, both, both potentially the, the, the sin in my life or the, or the challenges or the struggles, as well as the celebrations and the, and the things that I have hope in, is my life in the light? Well, this morning, we're, we're going to step into the second portion of this series we're doing and called In Community, and, and, and we're going to be focusing primarily on this question of what does it look like to be people who do community, but we do it in the light, to be a community of, of light. And so to that end, we're going to jump into 1 John chapter 1. So this is the word of the Lord. Follow along with me on the screen. John says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light. And in him 
is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, according to the, the Bible, both here and, and beyond, there, there are two ways to live this life. You can live it in the darkness, or you can live it in the light. This is strewn throughout the entirety of the, past, of, of the scriptures. We can either walk in the light, as this passage just said, which which is the with God life, which is what uh, Dallas Willard calls it, the, the with God life, which is choosing to live inside and, and within the, the endlessly delightful, the, the loving community of the Trinity that we kind of stepped into, looked at, and spent time focusing on last week. It's with and within that community of the Trinity, or we can walk in darkness, which is the by and for myself life choosing to live independently and, frankly, in rebellion against the beautiful, endlessly joyful, inviting community of God that is at the center of the universe. In this with God life, in the light, we have really fundamentally two key relational dynamics towards God, according to this passage. John, verse 8 and 9 say, if we say that we have no sin, well, it says we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us, if, however, we confess our sins, well, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So there's, there's two fundamental dynamics in our relationship with God. As it relates to our sins, it relates to light and darkness. One is that we say we have sin. Lord, we say we have sin. I will tell the truth about our, we will tell the truth about ourselves to ourselves. It says, we deceive ourselves if we say that we have not sinned. Instead of saying, no, no, I need to tell the truth about myself to myself. And secondly, I take that truth about myself, which I've told myself because it's actual reality and I confess it. I conf we confess our sins and we tell God the truth about ourselves. And of course, the amazing grace, the amazing truth that follows this is that God steps in and his grace, his faithfulness and justice through Jesus forgives us, right? and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. All is well with our soul. But the with God life doesn't simply exist in a with God alone life. Now, there are some that you all like grew up that way, that it was you and God, and you and God alone. And there's a periphery of people that are maybe supposed to help you along, but that's the only thing. But Rather, what God invites us into in this particular passage and beyond is that there is an existence of the light and darkness living that is in the community life. And we see it right here in, in verse 7. He says, but if we walk in the light, so this would be the with God life, right? If we walk in the light as he is already in the light, well, this is what happens. One, we have fellowship with one another. And two, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all our sin. If we walk in the light, two things are real. One, we have fellowship with one another. 
true fellowship is what I would say, true community with one another, and then, and then we know that the blood of Jesus covers us, which is what we just saw a minute ago. So here's the key. Here's the key central piece as we step into this sermon. That is, the people who are walking in the light are connected to one another in committed communities where there is a commitment to the light and a pressing against and away from the darkness. That's what it means to be in community, a community of life. And these two are just inseparable, one from the other. So here's how we're going to look at this. We're going to look and really answer two fundamental questions this morning. One is, why is confessing to one another essential to living in the light? Why is confessing to one another essential to living in the light? And secondly, how do we do this? How do we do this confession? What is the, what is the disposition of us as we confess? So first of all, why is confessing to one another essential to us living in the light? Well, first, it's because... It brings healing to our souls. It brings healing to our souls. James 5, 16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. If sin is, is the tearing of our souls about from what we were made to be, for what we were invited and, and created to be, and, and away from the one that we were made to be with, then the invitation here of confession is to be able to have healing. It says, confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. Now, I don't know about you, but just at first glance, it doesn't seem like those should go together, right? What you confess and you end up with, with healing. And I got to agree, I got to admit, there's, there's, there's definitely some mystery here. But for those who've courageously confessed as part of their past, if that's you, if you've at some point in your life courageously chosen to confess, or if as a, as a pattern of life or the way in which you relate to, to, to your community is to actively confess as an ordinary means of your, of your life, then, then you know what that healing looks like. Confession is healing. I think it's exactly what uh, David the psalmist writes about after he has made, as we all know if you've read the Bible, some major blunders of adultery and murder and all kinds of stuff. We find him articulating to God the reality of what, what happens when you are not confessing and what happens when you do in Psalm chapter 32, verses 2. And now this, he's confessing to God, but I think this clearly applies beyond that in light of what we just read. David says, Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. This is the, the walking in the light person. That's what the walking in the light person looks like. But then he talks about what it looked like in the darkness. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For, for day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. And then... I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Did you see in there the language of the, the, almost of the physical? Like that there's physical implications? Like there's almost illness or, or there's the, the effects of darkness, the almost decay of his own body. There's a sense of a need of healing. Now, of course, the healing is not of his actual bones aren't decaying there. He's, he's talking about his soul. 
And the invitation of confession is that it brings healing. Which begs the question, do do you need healing this morning? In what ways do you need healing? Why is confession to one another essential to living? Because, to living in the light, because it heals our souls. But secondly, because, because sin is not a private matter. And this is probably one of the, the most paradigm-challenging things for us because we think, it, we, we think actually that sin is indeed a private matter. But uh, A.W. Tozer does an amazing job of clarifying this for us. He says, no sin is private. Oh, it may be secret, but it's not private. It is a great error to hold, as some do, that conduct is his own business unless his acts infringe on the rights of others. Coming still closer, we, we Christians should know that our unchristian conduct cannot be kept in our own backyard. This is awesome. The evil birds of sin fly far and influence many to their everlasting loss. The sin committed in the privacy of the home will have its effect in the assembly of the saints. Now, I think for many of us, we find ourselves in that place where we're like, listen, my stuff is my stuff. Like, it's, it's, it's for me to deal with. It's for me to think about. It's for me to handle. There are certain areas of my life, certain rooms in my life, if you will, that, you know, they just, they belong to me. Now, you may not say this because, you know, it's maybe not correct, but like, they belong to me. They don't belong to God. And they certainly don't belong to any of y'all. They're They're mine mine alone. And of course, this is reinforced by a cultural construct that says, listen, as long as, as long as it doesn't affect me, like your stuff is your stuff, right? You do you, boo, and you're good. But the private life and the public square are irrevocably connected and bound together. Sooner or later, the private life leaks into the public square. We're often blinded by the impact of sin on our community. We don't even think of it that way. We think of it primarily as private. In preaching team, I was saying, hey, can we, can we all think about this? Any, anyone that's, we can think of recently, other than you know, some biblical examples, et cetera, where there was, there's kind of this hyper-compartmentalization of the private over the, over the public, right? There's a, if I just, if I can kind of manage and handle the private sin going on, it, you know, it's compartmentalized, it's not going to affect the public world. And, um, and one person was like, yeah, just a few months ago, Ravi, right? I don't want to beat a dead horse, but talk about something that was going on in private that on the other end has now not just come into the public square, but has blown the public square up. It's had devastating effect on people's lives and the ministry. And, but it was all private. See, it was just, it was just it was my place and my stuff, and I'm, and I'm handling it, or at least I'm pretending to handle it. So why do we confess to one another? Why is it essential to living in the light? Why must we confess? Because confession of sin is not a private matter. But even more so, we confess to one another in order to have the essential reality of living in the light because we are prone to either minimize or to be overwhelmed by our sin. To minimize our sin or to be overwhelmed by it. Almost all the time, we make things smaller than they are or we get overblown by what we believe for some of us, or it's going to be usually one or the other, we're going to be like, it's, it's not just not a big deal. Okay, so I'm, I'm flirting a little bit. 
Like, it's not like I'm having an affair, right? I mean, sure, like, I'm not, you know, I'm taking advantage of a couple extra tax credits and stuff, that are, but, but, like, it's not like I'm truly pilfering the coffers. It's not a big deal. It's what, <laughs> it's what I like to call secondary darkness, right? It's like, it's like darkness adjacent. It's like, you know, it's like dusk sin. You know, it's like, well, you know, I mean, it's not, it's not in the top category of things and Scripture says, darkness is darkness indeed. If we find ourselves using the phrase, well, let me, let me just explain to you why. We are masters at minimizing that which is darkness, which leads us at times to find ourselves with a seared conscience. And for some of us, we may have actually kind of abided in certain areas of darkness. And by the way, this is where it gets really tricky, right? Because it, there's different areas of our lives that actually have a, a lot of light and, and they're maybe flourishing and full. And then there's other areas that are, that are really dark and hidden and, and never show up on the radar for anyone. And so we find ourselves minimizing, doing what I like to call um, spiritual math. We've worked out a system for balancing the darkness with the light, right? You have like, hey, there's these activities, you know, activity of light A um, or thoughts A that are of light. And it's like, it's worth like six. You know, I'm getting a six there. And, but my dark activities are like a negative four. But net, net, like I'm at two, you know? So like, woohoo! Like, I, you know, I'm doing good. I'm doing okay. Net, net, I'm doing all right. I'm ahead of the curve. I'm positive. We minimize, we, we make it smaller than it really is without recognizing the magnitude of the impact. And, and maybe most significantly, we minimize by, by hiding. You see, we can't simultaneously be someone who confesses our sin to one another and be someone who's going to preserve our pride. Those are mutually exclusive, which by the way, is one of the reasons why God invites us to do so. God's on a 100% mission to destroy your pride. He, he is committed to undoing the reality of you thinking you're something without him. Like he's, he's bent on that. He loves you so much, he will tear that down. And God, have mercy that he would. But we cannot maintain our pride and actually live in the light and confess to one another. It just doesn't work. We're left with the option of image management or... Or just stratified sharing or what I like to call the non-aggression pact, you know? Like, dude, I don't ask you, you don't ask me, right? Like, I just, we'll just keep it simple here. If I don't push on you, you won't push on me. If I don't ask you about that thing, you won't ask me about that thing, right? We're good? We're good. So we minimize. But for some of us, we don't, we don't minimize. Actually, we swing fundamentally in the other direction and we, we, don't, we don't really confess. We live in this overwhelmed state where our sin is, is just crushing us with shame, like, I know I should, or I know, I, know, I know I shouldn't, is the constancy on the lips, and we're just, I'm just a piece of garbage, you know. We take, it takes the form of, and I was connected to somebody for, for several years who I called it um, kind of this serial confessionism, you know, where you just, like, you constantly confessing and reconfessing and reconfessing and reconfessing, but it's, but it's actually, it's therapeutic, right? There's, there's, a, there's a form of confession that, that oh, you know, you do feel better. You do feel lightened up a little bit. But it's, but it's therapeutic in that it's not unto repentance, right? It's actually just a, what, Be Becky has this amazing metaphor uh, that came from real live experience. And I will share it with you because 
it doesn't apply to me. Um, um, no, but there's this, there's this way in which, this phrase she uses, oh gosh, how does she say? She says, there's a way, it's about labor. Here's the metaphor, that there is a, um, there is a way in labor, when you're having a child, to push hard enough to relieve some pain, but not hard enough to push out the baby. That, that, that there's, when you're in the midst of contractions, I'm told, that in the midst of contractions, apologies, Eric, sorry, but you're about to have babies, but here it comes. Um, and that you're in the midst of contractions and it hurts apparently. Um, and you have all this pain and all this pain. And one of the things that Becky says, that there's a way that the nurse, when we had Haley, and she, Becky had her natural, not because she chose to, because she came fast. And, and so Becky's in there and she's in pain and, and the bowls are playing. So I'm mixed, you know, like, um, uh, <laughs> so it doesn't make me look good. I was 17. Oof, check box. I'm free, not responsible. Okay. Back to the metaphor, come on. Um, um, but but there's, the nurse looks at her and says, Becky, you need to push. And she's like, I am pushing. She says, no, 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 you're pushing just hard enough for the pain to slow down or to stop, but you're not pushing hard enough to make the baby come out because that's gonna hurt apparently. And so sure enough, she's like, okay, let's do this. And you know, there's Haley. Um, but there's a way in which we do that in our lives, isn't there? Like we, we, we confess or we give, I say this, we, we're willing to share the secondary darkness in a way that brings about a certain therapeutic freedom and ease and it relieves the tension. And many who are like, oh, I'm just a piece of garbage. I screw up all the time and whatever. But it's not, it's not alive. It's not unto light. It's actually making a different way of making light of the darkness or little of it. And lastly, why is confession to one another essential to living in the light? It's because, because sin leads to isolation. Alone with my brokenness, shame, and guilt is what most people know when they live and are trapped in darkness. And this is where um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his amazing work, Life Together, um, articulates this clearly. He says, sin demands to have a man or a woman by himself. It withdraws him from the community. The more isolated a person is, the more destructive will be the power of sin over him or her. But a man who confesses his sins in the presence of a brother or sister knows that he is no longer alone with himself. He experiences, listen, he experiences the presence of God in the reality of the other person. If, if you've ever had, or maybe if you just, even right now, if you can bring to mind like the, 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 the darkness that you're dabbling with or that maybe you've fallen all the way into or that you used to know faithfully, you were alone. Most of us did not come to other people. We would maybe confess to the Lord, maybe plead, but we went to isolation. And, and Bonhoeffer is clear on this, and it's the experience of most people I've known, which is why confession is so powerful to living in the light. Why does confession work? Why is it essential to the light? Because it, what it does, and this is how God knows us, is that it creates this physical presence of grace and accountability with us. It makes it concrete in our life. It's not an ethereal idea. 
And it brings us from the inside of shadows into the realm of real life because it's a real other person that we're processing with. And what it does ultimately is it, is it, it concretizes, if that's a word, the reality of, of the vertical confession that we have with God. It, it, makes, it, it makes it a different kind of real. And, and I, this is not to take anything away from the reality of our relationship with God. It is true, and we must experience him as Father, right? All last week I tried to build this picture of what it means to enter into the beauty and the power of the Trinity. That I'm not taking any of that away. But here's the thing. It's... It's apparently not enough, not, not in this broken world, not in this sinful broken place, not in our flesh as it still remains. It's not enough, which is why he says, confess your sins to one another. You need each other. You got to live in the light with each other. And it puts through the other a, a proper weight on the reality of our sin. There's something about the saying it out loud that puts the right weight on it, not, not to make it too little and not to make it more than it is. And it creates this, this space where we can be both known and loved, Tim Keller would say. Not just known and not just loved, but both known and loved. And that way it takes the fangs out of shame and it reduces the voice of the enemy who's, well, familiar with you. One of my favorite, maybe my most favorite quote from Larry Crabb, I heard him say it in about 12 different ways, but he says, nothing changes us quite so much as looking bad in the presence of love. Nothing changes us quite so much as looking bad in the presence of love. And here's the thing. Do you know what the gospel is? The gospel is that like Jesus saw you at your worst, sees you and still your worst, and came for you by grace. You look bad, all the way bad, by the way, way, way worse than we have any idea of. I look way worse than you have any idea. And, but when I'm able to stand in that reality that, that I look bad and yet I am loved because of another, it changes me. Do you know what confession is? Do you know what confession and community is? It, it's, it's, it's the physical reality of that. It's the manifestation of the gospel with one another. It's I don't look at you and go like, well, that's pretty rough. I would never do that. No, no, no. It's, it's an entering in with the gospel to be the gospel to someone else, to invite them and say, yeah, this is not, this is darkness. Let's call things what they are. But there is light available and I'm with you in it. So, how do we confess? Well, first, um, first of all, we confess proactively. I think we naturally think of confession as the thing that we do afterwards, whatever, after what. But living in the light, especially as God continues to grow our sense of understanding of our own soul with him, living in the light means forecasting with our committed community, what darkness looks like for you. It's where you show your hidden cards. It's where, you, it's where you reveal your tells. It's where you invite people to say, listen, here are the ways that, that I will hide. Here are the warning signs. Here's the, here's the lights on the dashboard that I'm, that I'm dabbling with or that I've fallen into darkness. 
This is how it goes for me. And it's probably not the same for you. And so I want to invite you to know, hey, listen, if you see this, I, I need you to move in so that together we can press out darkness and experience a life of walking in the light. And by the way, you have permission to come after me. And secondly, so we confess. How do we confess? We confess proactively, which actually um, this very week I was um, with uh, my, my guy Spencer and, and, and Steve that I meet with on a weekly basis. And I've like the past several, several months, uh, I tend to like when I'm feeling sad or, or mad or scared or uncertain or, you know, those things, bored. Um, and life feels hard, I, um, I find something sweet to make me feel better. Um, it's just a very easy, very fantastic way to allow sugar to do the work for you that you don't want to do for your own soul. I mean, why go to Jesus when, you know, you have a donut? Um, and so, I, man, I've just, I, I've been noticing like more and more, it's because it's been, not more and more, it's, just, it's a very easy place for me to go. And so, so like about 10 days ago, I was like, okay, I need to take some proactive steps to actually be, you know, a healthy individual. Um, and so like put some processes in place to, you know, have some self-control, some new disciplines in my life. But this is what I know about me. Is that, is that the, for like, the indulgence here, it, well, it was covering something, right? This is how idolatry works, right? It covers the thing that aches. Are you following me? Anybody else knows? So it covers the ache, right? So you take the ache, well, the ache is gonna wanna be covered some other way, right? And so I'm sitting with those guys, I'm like, hey, listen, I just want you to know, like, as this gets, in a sense, pressed in, and as I seek by the Spirit to have power over gluttony, let's call it what it is, then how, all I know is, like, there are other things that are going to come knocking. Like I told them, like, the other night, like, I just, I thought I was, I was going to work till, like, 1130. Because you know what? When I get stuff done, oh, I feel so much better. And so I'll, I'll not overwork. Or, like, I'll be like, you know, there's, this thing apparently called TikTok that has an endless amount of entertainment for you. Most of it's ridiculous, almost entirely ridiculous, but some, some solid artists here and there that put on some new creative songs. And you know what? You never know. Maybe an hour from now, you know, there'll be another one. <laughs> and so I was like, hey, listen, I just need you to know, like, this is, this is, this is what, where I'm at, and this is how I know it goes. And so I just want to invite you to, like, ask me about it. To touch base with me about how's this going? What's at play? How, like, what new, what old or what new avenues are you finding yourself inviting yourself or not invi being invited into darkness? Like, because because I want to live in the light, and it's not my first rodeo. So we confess proactively. Secondly, we confess vulnerably. Though looking bad in the presence of love is indeed an one of the most powerful things that will transform us, it doesn't feel like it's going to be great from the outside. Make no mistake, true confession is vulnerable. And vulnerability is the disposition of true confession and, and truly the pathway to real belonging in community. I'm personally not, not a naturally vulnerable person. But the longer I've lived, and the, well, and the more, more I've learned and the more people I've gotten to know, I've come to realize that the vulnerability isn't natural to anyone. So that's helpful. Now, sure, there's areas of my life where I'm, I'm willing to be, well, 
transparent. Transparent about it. But transparency and vulnerability are not the same thing. Like what I just shared with you was like, well, mostly transparent and a little bit vulnerable. Because it is pretty current stuff. And you're like, yeah, I mean, maybe you do need to lose a few pounds, Matt. Yeah. You know, so that could be happening. So I do feel a little bit vulnerable. But overall, it's transparent because it's not like it's not live ammo. Here's what's transparency. Transparency is me sharing with you something that's true and even emotionally sensitive. See previous moment. Usually in the past, usually even in the recent past. But that does not allow you to have impact on me or on my heart. You, you get to be, in a sense, a spectator or a recipient of what happened. That's what transparency is. It's like, like getting, I always think about it, like, like getting a fully wrapped gift where you get to just look at the gift and I get to tell you what's inside. That's what transparency is. Like, it's like, oh, cool. So and what's, what else is in there? Oh, that's terrific. Isn't that beautiful? I know. Isn't the package beautiful? It's great. Or well, the package is kind of ugly. It's pretty rough. Yep, I know. It's been rough, but, you know, here it is. That's transparency. But you don't get to interact with it. Vulnerability, on the other hand, requires me to invite you into a moment where I have real need. Real need for help, where I feel insecure, where, where shame is present, where I clearly don't have it all together or together at all. In essence, it means me choosing to lower my walls of defense and inviting you into areas that I feel weak in. And in that case, you're not a spectator. Committed communities are not spectators. Active ingredients in the real area of need. Which is why I think it's, it's essential for those things to be real-time processing with real live ammo. Vulnerability, of course, the beautiful thing about it is that it begets vulnerability. If you're around someone who will choose this, you will find yourself freer and freer to do so yourself. Now, just to be clear, and we just give a little quick vulnerability public service announcement here. We're not called to live out in the same level of vulnerability with all people, okay? That's not how it works. There are tangible wisdom and discernment about what it looks like for us to be vulnerable. With whom and at what times and what context. And we don't demand vulnerability from one another. We just invite it. We don't demand that other people respond perfectly to our vulnerability. We allow it to be trusting the spirit, stewarding our vulnerability with wisdom. But we do do it confessionally with one another as it is happening. That's what it means to live in the light. And I should be clear, it takes courage to live in the light. It really, really does. There's very real, tangible sense of risk for your heart when you're going to be vulnerable and confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. And you're going to feel it. But God calls us into it. He calls us to take this, in a sense, this faith-filled steps of courage, which is the language we've used in the past, to take this faith-filled steps of courage with this promise. I'm inviting you and calling you into this way of being because I am there. All that I talked about last week about the reality of the Trinity, of what's true of you being invited in, is from that place that we move with vulnerability into confession. It's from that place that we're proactively engaged with confession. He's already there. 
And incidentally, it also takes courage to call others in our committed community to the light. It's, it's challenging to do so ourselves, to, to offer ourselves honestly and vulnerably and proactively and, and tangibly with all the risks at stage. But, but it's also really challenging to, well, to do so by inviting others, by calling others in our committed community to the light. So my question to you is, are you the kind of person that other people would trust to confess their sins to? Because one of the tangible realities of, 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 a, of a committed community that is going to live this way in the light with one another is not just I do, but am I willing to actually be the kind of person who others would trust in it? Well, Dietrich Bonhoeffer again helps us with, I think, two key criteria to answer this question. He says, um, Anybody who has once been horrified by the dreadfulness of his own sin, this is the first criteria, that nailed Jesus to the cross will no longer be horrified by even the rankest sins of a brother. How do you know that you're someone that other people would confess their sins to? You know that your own proclivities towards and your own history in the darkness and in sin and yet you've also tasted deeply enough of the redemption in Christ that you know what to do about it, where to go with it. You know it, the power of grace. That's the first criteria. The second criteria I summarize as you do it too. He says, every person, Bonhoeffer says, every person should refrain, listen, this is, this is like self-denial, self right? Every person should refrain from listening to confession who does not himself or herself practice it. Only the person who has humbled himself can hear a brother's confession without harm. I was struck by that last word. It's like, harm? What he's saying is, in order to be a safe person, for someone to come and bring their darkness and, and, and share it with you and invite you into it, has to know that you're someone who does it too. And if, if the only confession that ever comes off your lips is that you maybe sometimes get mad at other drivers or you, you sometimes get frustrated with your kids when they're being particularly bad, no one is going to trust you. No one is going to invite you. No one is one going to want to entrust the embattled reality of the darkness in them. Because it is a battle. So what's proper and true of confession? What does it look like? It's not just me and Jesus. And it's not just me and a set of people who are going to be like, hey, cool, we all just agree to just disagree. We're just going to be fine. Just everybody's fine. It's not a big deal. Nothing you do is a big deal. But Sinclair Ferguson kind of coined the phrase, a community of, a community of light is a community that is committed both to comfort the disturbed and disturb the comfortable. To comfort the disturbed and to disturb the comfortable Listen, if, if you read the Gospels, you know that Jesus came to comfort the disturbed and he came to disturb the comfortable. 
And so as we look at our own communities, of our, 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 our committed communities, we have to ask the honest question, do I have the kind of people in my life that are inviting and leading me to the light, that are drawing me, that are, that are inviting me, that are calling me, that are challenging me? Am I being the kind of person that readily is inviting others into the areas of darkness where I'm counting on them helping me towards the light? Because I know that they know Jesus and they know their own frailty and so they're trustworthy. Is it easy to come to the light with you? Well, in a second, I'm going to give you a, a minute to just have, actually three minutes, to just do some reflection here. But as we set up the table, because I think this is the, <laughs> this is where it's going to begin for us. And frankly, it's also where it's going to end for us. But Jesus says in John 8, he says, this is again, Jesus spoke to them saying, and this is a famous passage, so just listen to it in light of what we just talked about. He says, I am the light of the world. Wh whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. How did Jesus make it possible for us to have the light of life? Well, you know, he, he was plunged into darkness for you. He, he took on the cumulative reality of our darkness for our sake so that we could be brought into communion, a communion of light, of the light of life, so that we might be the kind of people that are free, that are, that are healed, that are whole with him. And since that's true, and since that's what these elements remind us of, what I, what I want to invite you into over the next three minutes, and Chris is going to come up, and she's going to play for about three minutes, and this is this is an easy sermon to have like stuff fly in front of your, of your face and have it disappear and be like, yeah, cool, there's some darkness, but it's dusk and it's gonna be all right. And, and all I know is this, is that these verses invite us to live in the light and living in the light is scary and living in the light means we're trusting Jesus. So, so as we prepare to come here, which is the invitation of Jesus saying like, I got you, I'll, I'll be in it regardless. You're not gonna impress me with your sin. You're just not going to. Like I've seen it all, I know it all, and I'm now inviting you in. We now become the people who get to invite each other in. So, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you three minutes. And, and over the course of these three minutes, I want you to just, I want you to ask the question, Lord, where, where am I in darkness? Where is there darkness around me? And I want you to ask the Holy Spirit, who do I need to talk about it with? So I'm going to give you three minutes. Those are the two questions, then I'll.